0: Morning, welcome to Mission View Church. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time with us, so glad you joined us for worship this morning. It is the start of Advent. Man, I love this time of year. Who else? Who else loves Christmas, right? How can you not like Christmas, right? I just love this time of year. It's that even everybody in the world just gets this idea of giving, right? It's the idea of generosity, of getting gifts for other people. It's better to give than receive right it's this even even the world buys into the the idea of generosity kindness and giving gifts at christmas time so i just i love christmas time but not just that the opportunity that we get to celebrate the birth of our lord and savior jesus christ so um, just a wonderful time of year Now, Advent goes from November 27th to Christmas Eve, December 24th. And like Kelly said, we're going to have two services. We're really excited. Uh, We've been planning this since September. So we're really excited to celebrate Christ's birth on Christmas, um, December 24th, Christmas Eve. So invite your neighbors, your friends, and everything else. It's going to be a good time. Advent actually comes from the Latin word Adventus. And it means coming, arrival. It's a time of year the church set aside to prepare for the celebration and remember Christ's coming. Now in the New Testament, this term, Adventus is used for the second coming of Christ too. So it's the season of Advent in the Christian calendar, and it anticipates the coming of Christ from three different perspectives. It's the, the physical nativity in Bethlehem, the reception of Christ in the heart of the believer... And the eschatological coming of Christ, his second coming. So there's kind of a a threefold celebration that we can look into this time of year. I just love it. This Advent season, we're going to be looking at some miraculous births in Scripture. We've been going through the book of Mark, and it's been an amazing series. Uh, but we're going to take a break from that throughout these next five weeks or four Sundays and then Christmas Eve. And look at a few miraculous births all throughout Scripture. And that one miraculous birth that we'll celebrate on Christmas Eve. But we're going to start today in the Old Testament. So if you have Bibles, go ahead and open up to Judges chapter 13. Has anybody here ever heard of a guy named Samson? Samson? He was in Judges. He was one of the Judges. He was probably the worst of the Judges. But um, but this story doesn't end all bad. But we're actually going to be looking at Samson's birth today in Judges chapter 13. Now Judges in Scripture comes after Joshua had led the tribes of Israel into the promised land. And Joshua tells the people kind of at the end of his life, Before he dies, he tells the people of God to follow the law of God. The law of God was given to the Israelites to protect them, to guide them, and to care for them. God was looking out for them, and he created this. He gave them this law that they were to follow that would protect and guide and care for them. It was this promise. It was a, a covenant he had made with them. He said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so there's this promise that God made to the Israelites and this promise that the Israelites made to God. And they were in relationship together. Now, what we learn as we go through the Old Testament in the life of the Israelites is they never lived up to the end of their promise. Over and over again, they would fail. They would fail to follow through with their promise they would fail in the law that god had given them and here in judges we're i think we're on like the seventh judge samson's like the seventh judge the last one of them and every one of these stories is a story of god's people obeying the law and then failing to obey the law and god judging them sending a judge usually this is how he would judge them he would allow one of the neighboring peoples to come in and conquer them Ju- that's how God's wrath would be poured out on them. And that would move them back into the law, and God would send a judge to set them free from captivity or, or the, whatever the oppression that they were under. So we see over and over again God's people failing to follow through with their promise, failing to do what God had called them to do. So here we are at the, the, the sixth time or seventh time that this has happened. And we pick up the story right here in Judges 13. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Let's stop right there real quick. Just, uh, just so you know what's going on here. 40 years. This is the longest oppression of God's people that we find in Judges. God's judgment is coming out on the people. 40 years they were uh, oppressed at the hand of of the Philistines. And there it says the there was a certain man of Zora of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful. And drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now this Nazarite idea, just to fill you in on that, I think it's in Numbers 11 where they give the details of what a Nazarite is. These were people that would dedicate their lives to God dedicate their lives to following God. They were set aside their entire lives or until the vow that they'd made um, expired, they would live their lives in service to God. Now, this angel is telling Samson's mother that Samson's to be a Nazarite. And we know that Samson wasn't supposed to cut his hair. And remember what happened when he cut his hair. He lost his strength. He lost his power. But this is the Nazarite vow. And many could make this. But Samson... From the angel, this is from birth, which is not normal, not, not the average Nazarite. But from birth, Samson was set aside by God, for God, to be used by God and um, just in a powerful way. So that's the Nazarite. And then verse 6, then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome What most theologians believe here is that this is the pre-incarnate Christ, that this is Jesus had come in the Old Testament right here. Jesus was and is and always will be, just like God, one of the Trinity. Jesus makes his appearance here in the Old Testament. In verse 7, But he said to me, Behold, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. This is a miracle because she's barren. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So his entire life, this vow was made and was prophesied even by this angel, by Jesus, to Manoah's wife. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. This is great i love how how this the husband manoa hears this and what's the first thing that he does the first thing that he does when he hears about this angel's coming this word from god this prophecy about a son he's like we need some direction we need some help on this this is a big deal lord don't leave us alone here come help us we need your help just awesome and so so it's so, So he does. The angel comes again. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything. Any unclean thing, all that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare you a a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. I take note of that as I was reading through this, too. Here you have this amazing, powerful picture of this angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, appearing to Manoah's wife. Just amazing, miraculous, supernatural occurrence. She goes back and tells her husband Manoah, You're not going to believe what just happened to me, this angel of the Lord. It was awesome, she says. And Manoah's like, oh my goodness, what do we do with this? We need to pray that God would come and give us more directions, that we would, you know, do what he would have us do with this. And the angel comes again and gives him very clear, clear, concise direction. And here we find out that the angel never appeared to them again never appeared to them again. And we know that they were faithful because we've read the rest of the story. We have the rest of the story. Have you ever had a time in your life where God does something so powerful and so miraculous? You just know that you know that you know God was active and God did something in your life. Maybe it was an answered prayer. Maybe it was that moment in your life where God revealed himself to you. Maybe it was that moment in life that you found out that you realized that you needed a Savior, that you were desperate for something more and God showed you that he was that something more. It was that moment in your life where he changed your heart and he changed your life forever. Most of us, each one of us who have come to Christ have had one of those moments that we can look back on, that we can see and we can know that God was God right here with us and in us. And then we go through seasons of our life where it's like, does he hear my prayers? Does he see what's going on right now? I mean, there's there's so much I gained from just that simple statement that, that that angel appeared to them no more. Never saw him again. But Manoah and his wife were faithful. They were faithful in what God gave to them. And that word from the Lord. Mission View, we need to be faithful to the Lord when we feel it and when we don't feel it. On the mountaintops and in the darkest, deepest valley, God is God. And it's just a. I I just love how Manoah and his wife faithfully did what the angel of the Lord told them to do. So it says in verse 22 And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us these, th- these, all these things and now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahane Dan, between Zorah and Eshtol. All right, the first thing in the first fill in, in your notes that I kind of want to pull out of this start of Samson's life and this miraculous birth is that God is faithful. God is faithful. Forty years, the longest recorded oppression of the people of God and judges. The seventh Judge Samson comes into the story. We have to understand kind of the gravity of the situation. We have to understand the history of God's people, the delivery of God to his people of the, the six different oppressions before this one. I mean, going all the way back even to Egypt and the freedom from captivity that God did for them. What we, what we gain from this is that when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. It doesn't matter what the people do. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around them. God is going to be faithful. He's going to be faithful to His Word. He's going to do what He says He will do. How many times I read this, and as I study through the Old Testament, I remember in seminary, and anybody who's been through seminary, Andrew, and all, you, you go through the Old Testament surveys, and you have to write paper after paper on these Old Testament books. And I am telling you, it's like beating a dead horse over and every paper I wrote out out of the Old Testament. You had to get really creative because it was like God's people were faithful. God's people were unfaithful. God sent judgment on God's people. God's people repented. And then God sent a deliverer and God's people were delivered. Wash, rinse, repeat. I mean, we're talking centuries and centuries and centuries of God's people obeying, disobeying, being judged, being set free by a deliverer, and just over and over again. And I remember writing these papers, you know, and you're just like, how do you say this again? You know, how do you, how, how, how am I going to be graded on this paper which is identical to the last paper and the paper before that and the paper before that? Right? It was just this this overwhelming monotony of the same same kind of thing how many times are they going to turn from God how long will God have to suffer through their disobedience and unfaithfulness generation after generation of God's people abandons him and his truth what kind of people do this do they even trust God look at all that he's done for them he's delivered them six other times and judges From the consequences of their sin. Before that, he delivered them from Egypt and he'd done miraculous thing after miraculous thing. Every time God delivered them miraculously, proving his power, his love, his mercy, and his faithfulness to his word. The Israelites were habitual idol worshipers. There's no getting around it. It seems like they couldn't go a few years without getting distracted by what this world has to offer shiny, sparkly things that promise happiness. I mean, they're probably sitting there thinking, look how much fun the Philistines are having. I mean, we have these laws. We can only eat this food, we, have to, we can only touch these things, we have to wear this clothing. We can only marry this, this people. We can only do this. We can only do that. But look at the Philistines. They just do whatever they want. Have you heard the parties over there? I mean, it's bumping. I would love to go over there. I mean, they, it seems like they have everything that they want. They don't have a law that they have to follow. They just do whatever they want. Look how much fun they're having. Man, if we could only just have that, we would be happy. I mean, we'd be happy. How could they do that? How could they not trust God after God was so faithful over and over and over again? Centuries worth of faithfulness. Centuries worth of miraculous deliverance. The shocking thing in this story actually isn't the faithlessness of Israel. It's the mercy and faithfulness of God. They don't deserve a deliverer. Think about this. They don't deserve a deliverer. They haven't earned a Savior. And here's the crazy thing one of the only times they don't even ask for a champion. There is no record of Israel's repentance. They weren't looking for God, they weren't looking for a deliverer. They were in oppression. And from all we know, it was probably like with them when they were in Egypt. We're fine here. Moses, you remember when Moses delivered them from Egypt? They're out in the desert and they're like, how could you deliver us out here? In Egypt, at least we had food to eat and water to drink. Take us back to Egypt, Moses. Right? They don't even ask for a deliverer. They don't even repent. But God sends one anyways. God's mercy is always shocking. That he would look down at a sinful, rebellious people turning their back on him and in their brokenness, in their running after sin, running away from God, God runs after them, grabs them, and turns them the right way because God is good. You know, I look at the story of the Israelites and we see their history of failures and we see their history of weakness and we see their history of sin and running from God and I get frustrated like I shared with you and we say, what kind of people would do that? I mean, we would never do that, would we? I mean I would I would I don't know about you, I would never look at what this world has to offer and be like, Hmm, that looks pretty good. I mean, you know. That Ferrari it looks nice, it's shiny. That nice big house. I mean maybe it doesn't have to be that big. Just five bedrooms, you know. I mean, the Israelites did that, but you and I, no, we would never do that. I mean, we would never look at the things that this world has to offer and say, maybe just a little. Just just a little. I mean, I see the parties my friends go to. I see what they get to enjoy. See what they get to have fun with? Maybe just a little? No, we would never do that. Right? The picture of Israel is the picture of our hearts. You see, the, the Israelites were habitual idol worshipers, and our hearts are habitual idol factories. If we're honest with ourselves, we have to confess. That there are things that we see in this world and things that we look at that we probably shouldn't look at. There are things in this world that we desire and that we long after that we shouldn't desire and shouldn't long after. You see, there's a little part of every one of our hearts that, that we're holding on to that is mine, not God's. And God is a jealous God in that he wants every single bit of our hearts, not 99.999%. He will not settle for it. He will come after that point zero 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 one percent with everything that He is and all of His power and all of His might will be poured out on us until we render 100% of who we are and what we want. Until God is our number one desire God will be chasing after us like he chased after the Israelites and sent him Samson. They didn't ask for it. They weren't looking for it. They didn't even know they needed it. And God sent them a deliverer and said, you are mine. And there's many of you here today, God is doing that exact same thing right now. He is running after you. He is chasing after you because he loves you. He cares about you. He sent His only Son to die for you. And He's saying, come to Me. I am the only thing that satisfies. You will search this world from continent to continent. You will try any drug, anything that's out there, and it will leave you empty, broken, and wanting. The only thing that will bring you ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment is Me. You're not repenting. You're not asking for it you're running after the world and God is so gracious and so merciful and so faithful that he is chasing after you even now God is faithful now another thing we have to realize though is that God's mercy never falls outside of his will and purpose God's mercy never falls outside of his will and purpose. And this is the second fill in your notes. God will, and I wrote capital I, capital I, capital W, capital I, capital L, capital L. God will accomplish his plans. It's God's will to accomplish his plans. God will accomplish his plans. God sends us deliverer, a champion, a savior, without the people crying out in repentance. And there's two ways we can, review, can view this display of the power of God. The first way we can view it is this. Mercy is giving what is needed, not what is deserved. God is merciful. And He gives us what we need, not always what we deserve. Sometimes what we need is what we deserve, though. Let's be honest. The people of God deserve judgment or continued judgment, but God brings them a deliverer, deliver, and that is mercy. And this is so encouraging for us. Because we need mercy too. We need mercy too. Like I was just saying, there are parts of our lives, there are parts of our hearts that we don't even see are filled with darkness. They're still searching and seeking after the things that the world offers. We are not aware of that because pride blinds us to our blindness. Pride blinds us to our blindness. And it takes the miraculous supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to take the blinders off and show us, hey, this part of your heart is going after something that is not good, not right, unhealthy. You need to deal with this part of your heart. That is the mercy of God. It doesn't feel like mercy, though, when he reveals that to us, does it? You're just like, when God does that to me, it's just like, ow! Ow! doing good hey i i i pray i do my bible studies i do this stuff i i'm I'm one of the good guys why why are you doing this to me why are you because he loves us and he has a plan and we need mercy amen the second way we can look at this to understand this is god's sovereignty god's providence god's going to do what he wants to do period god is going to accomplish his plan and his purposes period there is no dependency or need in god he doesn't sit around anxiously hoping that things might somehow go his way he doesn't depend on us he doesn't need us but he graciously includes us isn't that cool He doesn't need us. He's not sitting up there going, What am I gonna do without Matt? How could I do anything without Todd or Jesse? This it would just all fall apart. My whole kingdom. Oh no. He's not sitting up there on pins and needles going, man, I hope Mission View obeys. Because it's just gonna fall apart. My whole plan down the drain. God is going to be glorified no matter what we do, what Satan does, or what the world does. God is going to win. He has already won, and he will acquire the glory he deserves, and there is nothing anyone could ever do to stop it. That is God. He's not up there just rolling the dice. wonder what happens next. Draw a card, Holy Spirit. Let's see. That's not God. God will do whatever he wants to do and will accomplish his will and his purposes no matter what. And I'll tell you what, that is really, 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 really good news. Because if it was on our shoulders, this whole thing would crash and burn. If you haven't noticed, it is crashing and burning. You can elect whoever you want. It will crash and burn. Because they're humans. They are created beings existing underneath the sovereign providential power of the divine creator, God, who will acquire the glory he deserves no matter what. Now we can humble ourselves, submit to his authority, and accept his invitation to join in, but no matter what, God is going to accomplish his will in his plan. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I was in Books a Million uh, last was it last night, Joe? Last night at Books a Million. Going through the religion section. Some really good Bibles, by the way. They've upped their Bible game at Books a Million, just saying. They have some ESV study Bibles. Some MacArthur study Bibles. High five, you know. But anyways, I was going through the uh, spiritual section. And I started coming across—I don't know how these books make it into the religious section—but there was like philosophy books and um, and just really offensive titles. And and most of them, most of these titles, I can't remember any of them specifically, but probably three to five of them that were the offensive titles that elevated man and and brought God down to our level. It's like it's something like you can be God. Like, you can make God do this by these three things. It's like seven steps for you to be the divine. I, I mean, just these crazy... And I was I was reading through this. So, I, you know, I grab a couple of them and I, I read the introductions. And I'm just like, oh, my word. Like, God let somebody write this. Right? Like, I'm reading through the introduction and the heretical, irreverent sarcastic statements about their creator and i'm just sitting here god let someone think this and then he let someone write this and then he let someone edit this and then he let someone publish this and let someone sell this do you know how gracious god is how long oh god Are you going to stand there and let this happen? And you know how long? However long he sees fit. In his perfect, sovereign timing, he's going to send Jesus back. And he will judge the living and the dead. And every right thing, will be celebrated, and every sinful thing will be judged at His hand. How long, O God, will you wait? God is long-suffering, God is merciful, and God is sovereign. It is in His perfect timing that He will send Jesus back. Shocking, just shocking that some of these things are, that He even allows this. What a gracious God we serve. We can humble ourselves, submit to his authority, accept his invitation in and join in in his kingdom and praise the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God who sits on high in eternity declaring and decreeing his glorious sovereign plan. Or he will come and reveal himself in the end. And then we'll all humanity do the same thing fall to our knees and acknowledge his power and sovereignty. This is amazingly encouraging because all of us, like the Israelites, need God to intervene, and we don't even know it. We all have those parts of our hearts that need his hand, that only his hand can fix, and we don't even know it. Have Have you ever had food in your teeth? right it's oreos usually or black beans you know i don't know if you had oreos thanksgiving or black beans probably not but no matter what it was cilantro terrible was right you go out to chipotle it's the worst it's best but it's the worst with food in your teeth and you're going to that next meeting after lunch and you're smiling so glad you're here have a serious meeting you get done with the meeting, you go to the restroom, and you look, and there it is, the black bean round front tooth, right? And you're like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This whole time I'm in this meeting, and they didn't say a word that I had food on my teeth. That's, I mean, that's a kind of a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the reality is we all have food in, our, food in our teeth. And we need God to be like, hey, Matt, you got some food in your teeth, and you need to deal with it. We all need God to step in and tell us we have food in our teeth. But how do we respond? How do we respond when God steps in like he did with Israelites and sends Samson? How do we respond when God works his sovereign plan, when he does what only he can do? What do we do? This is the third felony notes. We respond in surrender and we respond in worship. We respond in surrender. We respond in worship. The Israelites deserved judgment and discipline, but God is so merciful, so faithful that he gave them a Savior. And we too deserve judgment and discipline, but God in his great mercy sent us a Savior, a deliverer, a champion. Only God can reveal to us our need for Him. Only God can open our eyes to our brokenness and sin. Only the Holy Spirit God moves on our hearts to pursue righteousness and purity. When we look at our lives, our thoughts and our actions, and begin to see the change and turn towards things that are good in God's eyes, when we see our hearts begin to soften and our thought patterns begin to change, we are seeing the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in us. And this is, this is one thing that I think Christians really overlook, that they, they don't recognize, that any good thing that we do, any good thing that comes out of our lives is a byproduct of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I talk to so many Christians and I'm like, what's God doing in your life? And they're like, oh, I'm doing all right, you know, just... We work my nine to five, trying, you know come to church, I, you know, go to community group. Oh, that's great, you know. What what what's God doing in your life? And like, you know, there's it's, you know there's no like light bulb moments or anything right now. And I'm like, here's the question I was asking. i like, where were you three years ago? What, what was your life like? What was your Christian life like? What was what was going on there? Well, I was. I was just, it was okay you know i was struggling with this and i wasn't really in the word you know be quite honest we i wasn't really attending church much and we started coming back to church a couple years ago and i was really okay what's what's your home life been like ever, ever since well it's been a lot better you know i'm like sometimes we just don't recognize the goodness of god and the grace of god did you i mean did you know that those, those thoughts that come into your mind, you know what, maybe, maybe I should help this guy out. Maybe I should stop off to the side of the road and help this person. Maybe, maybe I should step in and help where they were asking for help over here. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't speak to my wife that way. Maybe I shouldn't treat my husband this way. Maybe I should be more giving. Maybe I should be... Those aren't thoughts that came from you. But that's what we like to think. I'm just becoming such a good person. You know what? I've been looking at it, and I'm pretty awesome. No! No! We are completely and totally depraved. Left to our own devices, every single one of us would be a Hitler. But God... You're laughing, but it's true. Did you know that God... There's this thing called common grace? And that God has extended His grace to every human being to keep them from becoming the worst of humanity. It is only God's grace that we don't walk in this world with a bunch of Jeffrey Dahmers and Hitlers. Because that's the darkness that lurks in every single human heart. God's common grace protects you and protects us from our depravity. That's how merciful and gracious God is. So when we think about these good things and we look back at our history and what God is, well, we like to think what we're doing to be better people. It's not what we're doing. It is God's doing. It is the Holy Spirit doing what only He can do. God's grace is so often misinterpreted as me making good choices. God in His kindness pours out His grace. His grace. But we, Christian brothers and sisters, have experienced and are continuing to experience salvific grace. This is the grace that opens our eyes to the need of a Savior and sanctifying grace. This is the grace that opens our eyes for our continued need of growth and change that we haven't arrived yet. And this is, this is glorifying grace that one day God will glorify us and bring us up to heaven. This is the grace and mercy of God. You, Christian brothers and sisters, were created to live in eternity with your Creator. You were created to live this life that is in such a better way in His kingdom work. You are called to a purpose, His purpose for His kingdom. And there is nothing greater. You are called to a life that is so much better in Him. It is saving grace. It is sanctifying grace. And it is a glorifying grace at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he is coming soon. He is coming soon. Jesus will come through the clouds riding a white horse, a conquering king. He's not coming in a manger the second time. He's coming with a sword in his hand to judge the living and the dead. And he will. If there's anything we learn from centuries, from thousands of years of human history and God's intervening, is that God always does what He says He will do. He will accomplish His will, and He says He's coming again. So this Advent season, as we look at these miraculous births and we think of the miraculous birth of Christ, let us remember His second coming too. Now you may be here, and you're hearing like this common grace thing, and God sending Jesus to... To, to live a perfect life that we can't live and then dying a sinner's death and this faithful God thing. and You're like, hey, I just wanted to check out church. It's Advent. What's this guy talking about? You see, God loves you. And many of the people sitting in this room know that. And they've experienced the personal, compassionate, gracious, kind, merciful love of God. They've been invited in... To relationship with god through the saving grace they found in jesus christ we realize that we're sinners we fail over and over again but god in his mercy sent jesus to live a perfect life because a perfect god demands perfection and none of us can live it but jesus lived it for us there had to be a price though that was paid sin is ugly gross disgusting And it's completely opposite of a perfect, righteous, and holy God. And there was a price. Blood had to be shed. God's righteous judgment demanded it. But none of us could live up to that perfection, but Jesus did. For 33 years, Jesus lived a perfect life in thought and in deed. And at the end, he allowed his creation to murder him. And he allowed that because he loves you. That is the good news. That is the gospel. That is why we are here this this morning. That is why we celebrate Christmas. It's that God made a way for you and me to be in relationship with Him through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Now the good news is Jesus rose from death the third day, the resurrection. He ascended into heaven and even now sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you and me and preparing a place for us in eternity. And God is inviting you into that relationship. You may not even know it. You may be like the Israelites. You may just live in your life. You're just here trying to be a good person coming to church. You can't live a good life without God. Because there's really no such thing as good. There's only such thing as perfection in his eyes. And Jesus is that perfection for you and for me. Will you surrender your life to Jesus? Will you look at his perfection and look at our own failures and weaknesses? Because the only thing that gets us into heaven isn't a bunch of good deeds that we do. So when we go through those pearly gates, it's not handing out our resume of good deeds. It's handing him Jesus' resume of perfection. And you can have that today. Will you surrender to Him? Will you give your life to Him? Will you live for Him? Will you repent or change? That's what repentance means, change. Will you change your heart and give it to Him? He's inviting you into that right now. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the history of Your intervening in humanity as we've seen this miraculous birth of Samson. And really, it's a a miracle of your mercy and your grace and your faithfulness to an unfaithful people. God, we are so much like that unfaithful people. And we confess and we acknowledge our need for you consistently and continually. God, come and change us, grow us, sanctify us, that we would be your people. And God, I pray for those here right now that don't know you, that you're inviting into a relationship with them. Reveal your heart to them right now, God, as only you can do. May the power of your Spirit overwhelm them in Jesus' name. Bring them unto yourself as only you can do, Jesus. We surrender to you. Come and have your way as we prepare to celebrate your birth, the incarnation of Jesus amongst us. Father, come and have your way over these next four Sundays and Christmas Eve. Grow us, change us for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.